Genesis chapter 32, verse 31. And as he passed over Penuel, the sun rose upon him, and he halted upon his thigh. Therefore the children of Israel eat not of the sinew which shrank, which is upon the hollow of the thigh unto this day, because he touched the hollow of Jacob's thigh in the sinew that shrank. Chapter 33. And Jacob lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, Esau came, and with him four hundred men. And he divided the children unto Leah and unto Rachel and unto the two handmaids. And he put the handmaids and their children foremost, and Leah and her children after, and Rachel and Joseph hindermost. And he passed over before them and bowed himself to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. And Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him, and they wept. And he lifted up his eyes and saw the women and the children and said, Who are those with thee? And he said, The children which God hath graciously given thy servant. Then the handmaidens came near, they and their children, and they bowed themselves. And Leah also with her children came near and bowed themselves. And after came Joseph near, and Rachel, and they bowed themselves. And he said, What meanest thou by all this drove which I met? And he said, These are to find grace in the sight of my Lord. And Esau said, I have enough, my brother, keep that thou hast unto thyself. And Jacob said, Nay, I pray thee, if now I have found grace in thy sight, then receive my present at my hand. For therefore I have seen thy face, as though I had seen the face of God, and thou wast pleased with me. Take, I pray thee, my blessing that is brought to thee, because God hath dealt graciously with me, and because I have enough. And he urged him, and he took it. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Our Heavenly Father, we we desire very much to see Christ in the wonderful things that he hath done on our behalf, and how we must rely upon him for all things. I pray thee now that you would compass about us, that we would forget about the troubles and tribulations and cares of this world and focus upon thee. Grant us grace to do so. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, Well, this morning I'm going to talk a little bit more about this section. I've covered it in the past, and we've talked about some of the interesting things with respect to the the gift that um, Jacob has sent before him. We saw that the word is often translated or more frequently translated as offering, and so we saw that it... Um, It was an offering unto him to appease him, and whereas Esau in this context is likened unto God, we saw that as an offering that uh, is made on our behalf, and that offering, of course, is Christ. So we did see Christ in this already, and so I want to talk a little bit more about Christ. My desire is that as we uh, continue to walk through Genesis, we would appreciate that Christ is everywhere in the Scripture with the intent that we would look to him for all things and that we, we would lean on him for all things. So whatever our circumstances might be, we need to appreciate that Christ indeed is in the midst of them and that he has ordained them for our good, as difficult as it might be for us to appreciate that. He desires only our good and everything he does is orchestrated for our good. As the author and finisher of our faith, Christ not only knows our trials and tribulations, he understands and appreciates our heart and where it is in these matters, but again, he means them for our good. So in Genesis chapter 32 and 33, we appreciate that God has set Jacob before us as an example of 
of the Christian walk as an example of somebody who um, has things go well for him at times and has things go very poorly and ill for him at other times. So in these 32 chap- in, in 32 and 33, Jacob is confronted by Esau, which is his twin elder brother, and he's coming to meet him with 400 men. Now, we talked about that in previous weeks. It's not a welcoming party. Nobody brings 400 men with them to welcome somebody. So it's obviously, it's got every appearance of a war party that Esau is bringing to meet his brother. Now, you recall it was said that Esau would live by the sword. So Jacob understands that and appreciates that. And uh, um, he hasn't seen his brother in 20 years. And you recall that when he did leave his brother's presence, he did so at the urging of his mother, who had heard that Esau was comforting himself with the notion that he was going to kill and slay his brother. He had murder in his heart. So Jacob fled with that understanding of what um, Esau felt towards him. And he also knows that, um, I don't use this term lightly, um, he deserved it. What he had brought upon the house, he had brought upon himself by virtue of taking advantage of his brother and um, getting his birthright, selling, purchasing his birthright. And by deception, he had stole the blessing, uh, Ab- the blessing of Abraham that his father would um, incur upon or this father would bless the elder with. So he took advantage of his brother and he got things that he should not have gotten. And so he can appreciate that Esau um, is very understandably unhappy with him. And so when 400 men are coming with your brother who uh, lives by the sword and whom you have wronged, you can appreciate that he's probably coming to take what he thinks belongs to him, even if it means taking your life. And so in this circumstances here, in this situation here, we had seen that Jacob has no place to turn except to God. And every Christian should appreciate when they're backed into a corner that they have no place to turn except to God. It is a blessing to be in that place where God has revealed that to you. It is a blessing when God has hedged about you, hedged himself about you, forcing you to turn to him. And this is the, um, where Jacob is at this point in his life. He's got no place to turn but to God. And so we see this, we see this verse 31 in Genesis chapter 32, and it has much to say in that simple verse. It's, we read here, And as he passed over Penuel, the sun rose upon him, and he halted upon his thigh. So this verse is very pregnant with Christ and helping us to appreciate where God has placed him and what thing he must do. And so this verse here, it's all about Jacob being in the center of God's grace. Jacob, he is an object of God's mercy, and he has repented. And we saw that in um, a couple of previous verses that he repented over in verse 10 of chapter 32, where he says, I am not worthy of the least of all the mercies and of all the truth which thou hast showed unto me. It is a mercy when you repent, because we know in Romans chapter 2, verse 4, it says that it is the goodness of God that leadeth us to repentance. So if you can appreciate Uh, your sin nature, and your need to turn to God for forgiveness, that is only by God's mercy that you do that. So Jacob here, the object of God's mercy, is um, indeed um, receiving God's mercy because God has given him a heart to repent. And in God's mercy, he humbles Jacob 
by touching the hollow of his thigh and causing Jacob to halt. That means he's limping, uh, he's inclining, he's leaning. And so he, as a pilgrim, makes his way by God's grace to his heavenly Father's house in peace and in glory, but he's going to halt all the way. He's going to lean or incline all the way. He's in the way going to his Father's house in peace. Now, last week we had seen how the term halted is an allusion to the church. It's a reference or an allusion to the people that God gathers unto himself. I'm going to develop that a little bit more to help us appreciate that. But I'm going to read again Micah chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, where we see that, that very language in there. In Micah chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, it says, In that day, saith the Lord, will I assemble her that halteth, and I will gather her that is driven out, and her that I have afflicted. Jacob is afflicted. Jacob is halting. He represents the church in this context, the people that God draws unto himself. And I will make her that halteth, a remnant. Well, of course, believers and Christians are a remnant of the people that are in this world, and God is calling them to himself. And I will make her that halteth a remnant, and her that was cast afar off a strong nation. What is the strongest nation that ever was and ever will be? It's the church of Jesus Christ. And the Lord shall reign over them in Mount Zion from henceforth even forever. Mount Zion, of course, is the place where Christ lived. Mount Zion is Christ himself. We're going to see that in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 22. And we saw it in our hymn this morning, and we saw it in Psalm 48. There's an allusion to this heavenly mountain, um, Zion. So what we want to appreciate here is this halting is indicative of somebody who's a Christian, somebody who's been regenerated, somebody who, um, by God's grace, leans on Christ. Now, so Jacob has turned to God, as I mentioned, uh, from 32 verses, uh, chapter 32, verse 9 through 11. And we can appreciate that there's an allusion twice into here in this section we're reading also about how the sun is rising upon him. So the sun of righteousness has risen upon him, which the Lord speaks about in Malachi chapter 4, verse 2. In Malachi chapter 4, verse 2, it says, But unto you that fear my name shall the Son of Righteousness, that's S-U-N, of Righteousness, arise with healing in his wings, and you shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall. So the Son of Righteousness rising upon you is indicative of Christ rising upon you. And so that's what we see here in Genesis chapter 32, uh, verse 31, where it says, The sun rose upon him. The sun's not just coming up over the horizon. The day is not just breaking like it does every other day, um, but it's rising upon him. And so we have to appreciate, it's like the sun is rising and setting over Jacob himself, which the Lord does upon every one of his saints. The sun of righteousness rises upon um, them. Now, as it says in, in Malachi 4.2, it says that it, he does this upon all those that fear his name. Now, think about the language Jacob has used in the past with respect to his father Isaac, when he was swearing on things, I mean in a positive sense, when he was um, um, evoking um, God, he referred to him as the fear of Isaac, as the fear of Isaac. You'll see that in Genesis 31, verses 42 and 53. He refers to him as the fear of Isaac. Well, based upon what we can appreciate here, obviously now, by virtue of this regeneration, that the uh, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the one true and living God, is now the, the fear of Jacob as well. And he should be the fear of everyone who's been regenerated and every saint because we fear him in a reverential 
sense. So he's blessed of God, that's verse 29, and he halts upon his thigh, that's verse 31. So he's inclined to one side, and I'm telling you that he's inclined to Christ. Now, I've quoted Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6 in the past with respect to this, but I don't want you to think that that was just kind of a amorphic allusion to it, but it's really what's taking place here, what God is doing in his heart. Um, in verse chapter 3, Proverbs 3, 5 and 6, it says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. If you're not leaning on your own understanding, what are you leaning on? Well, you're going to lean on Christ. Verse 6 tells us that. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. So as we go through life, and life is difficult to understand, we need to lean upon Christ, to lean upon him, not our own understanding, but to lean upon him that he might um, grant us grace and mercy to appreciate and understand the things that are going on in our life. But this halting of the thigh, the thigh here is the allusion to Christ that I want us to appreciate. Now, um, in other places in the Bible, that word is translated a little bit differently. It's translated as the word loins. Now, if you read Genesis chapter 24, and, and we will read that, Genesis chapter 24, verses 2 and 3. That's the occasion where Abraham has called his servant in and asks his servant to swear that he will find a bride for the son. Now, you should think to yourself, that's like God sending the Holy Ghost to seek a bride for God's son, Jesus Christ. And that's the way we saw that when we went through Genesis chapter 24. But this idea of placing your hand under a person's thigh um, is interesting. <laughs> In verse 2, it says, And Abraham said unto his eldest servant of his house that ruled over all that he had, Put, I pray thee, thy hand under my thigh, and I will make thee swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of the earth, that thou shalt not take a wife unto my son of the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell. So he's brought his eldest servant in, asked him to place his hand under his thigh and swear that he's not going to take a bride out of these people and he's not going to bring um, his son to the other place, but he's going to bring a bride to him. Now, we see the same thing in Genesis chapter 47, where Jacob is asking his son Joseph to swear in like manner. Genesis 47, verse 29 through 31, we read, and the time drew nigh that Israel, that's Jacob, of course, must die. And he called his son Joseph and said unto him, If now I have found grace in thy sight, put, I pray thee, thy hand under my thigh, and deal kindly and truly with me. Bury me not, I pray thee, in Egypt. But I will lie with my fathers, and thou shalt carry me out of Egypt, and bury me in their burial place. And he said, I will do as thou hast said. And he said, Swear unto me. And he swore unto him, and Israel bowed himself upon the bed's head. So Jacob is asking his son Joseph to come in, place his hand under his thigh, and swear that he will carry him out of Egypt. So I would hope that we could appreciate here there's an allusion to the resurrection. Jacob, when he's dead, obviously cannot carry himself out of Egypt. Now, the same word that is translated as thigh here is translated as loins elsewhere. In Genesis chapter 46, 
verse 26, it talks about the number of um, people that came with Jacob into Egypt. And there it says, And all the souls that came with Jacob into Egypt, which came out of his loins, that's that same word thigh, which came out of his loins, beside Jacob's sons' wives, all the souls were threescore and six. That's the number of people that came out of his loins that went down into Egypt. Exodus 1.5 says the same thing. Different number because there's a different accounting. All the souls that came out of the loins of Jacob were 70 souls, for Jacob was in Egypt already. So when you are placing your hand underneath the person's thigh and swearing to accomplish something, you're swearing on the progeny or you are swearing on his descendants which are going to come through his seed. There's always the illusion to seed in all of these things here. So what is the seed of Abraham? Well, that's Jesus Christ. So in all of these cases, by placing the hand underneath the thigh, it's an illusion or reference to Christ himself. So in the one case, it's, uh, it's swearing on Christ that the, a bride will be found, which of course is found by the virtue of Christ going to the cross. And the other one is the resurrection, which um, is done through, again, Christ um, paying for the penalty of our sins when he went to the cross and uh, his resurrection, meaning God was satisfied with what he had accomplished. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 6, it speaks of this, about the resurrection. It says, But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love, wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, for by grace are ye saved, and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So these allusions to, these references to the thigh or to the loins is a reference to Christ and what things he would accomplish in securing a bride for himself and, in, and through the resurrection that we would all uh, be together with Christ in the glory because when he was raised from the dead, we were raised with him. So in the context of what's uh, with respect to Jacob asking uh, Joseph to swear, when he's taken out of Egypt, that's a picture of all of the church coming out of the world with him and being buried with our fathers, going to glory. I talked about that in the past, remember, where I said Esau's going to go to his place, Jacob goes to his place, um, Ishmael goes to his place, Isaac goes to his place. We saw that they're going to different places. And so we are going where Abraham and Isaac and Jacob are going. Indeed, we're going where Christ is going, who is the seed that is set before us here and these uh, interesting um, allusions. So um, what Jacob looks forward to, as we all look forward to, is the resurrection and its accomplishment in Christ, who will come out of his loins, which is translated as thigh, upon which God has forced him to lean. So what I'm saying is God forced Jacob to lean on Christ, as he forces every one of us to do. So while it is a blessing to see your need for Christ, in an, election, in, in, in an intellectual um, context, it is salvation itself to actually do so. I hope you can appreciate the difference there. It's one thing to think you need Christ and another thing to actually need him and use him and lean on him because God has to take the truth from an intellectual place in your head and place that truth upon your heart. Jacob, who is blessed of God, is forced to lean on Christ. 
And that is a blessing. And every person who is in Christ, God has forced them to lean upon him because he's placed the revelation of their depravity truly upon their heart where they know that there's no place to turn but Christ himself. Um, many years ago, a pastor was giving me some advice. And he was sharing with me that people in the church will have their needs, they'll have their wants, they'll have their concerns, and they'll have their trials and tribulations. And he said, don't jump in and try to solve their problems for them, but wait for them to go to Christ. They need to turn to Christ. You are not in his stead or in his place. Every single Christian has a direct and personal relationship with God Almighty through Christ himself. And so every saint needs to go to Christ um, we can come to each other for comfort, love, support, encouragement, to be lifted, to share our burdens, but true comfort is found in Christ himself. And so it's to our knees we must go, and in prayer we must be ever calling upon Christ. We talked about last week how uh, Jacob was said to be a prince with God. That's a son of the king, and we are all sons of the king, and God bids us to boldly come before the throne of grace where we can find mercy and grace to help in time of need. So, wherever you are in your place in life, God has brought you to the place, God has brought you to a place where you must lean upon him. And you must know in your heart that you have to do that. And once you are brought there, you must stay there. I have no doubt that Jacob was, quote, mobility challenged the rest of his life. I have no doubt that he limped and leaned the rest of his life. Handicapped as he was, Scripture says that he had power with men and with God. And so we did talk about that last week, and I want us to appreciate that from a little bit different perspective. I want you to appreciate it from Christ's perspective because we are brothers of Christ, and there's really no difference the way God sees us in so much as he has imputed his righteousness to us and our sins to him. When he looks upon us, he sees Christ. When he looks upon Christ, he sees all of the saints that are in him. So I think we can appreciate that. Surely, Jesus had power and has power with men and with God. In James 5.16, we read, The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Well, I think we can appreciate that Christ is a righteous man. And because he died in our stead, suffering the wrath of God on our behalf, and on behalf of all those who believe in him, the righteousness of God was imputed to us and our sins, of course, being imputed to him. Proverbs 15, 20, 15, 29 tells us that the Lord is far from the wicked, but he heareth the prayers of the righteous. He hears the prayers of the righteous. God hears every one of our prayers, and he certainly heard every one of Christ's prayers. As righteous Beloved children in Christ, the Lord hears our prayers just as he hears the prayers of Christ Jesus. You know that he ever liveth to intercede for us. He is ever praying for and petitioning on behalf of the saints. Um, however, we ask amiss, and therefore we don't receive the things that we ask for, unlike Christ, obviously, who never asked anything amiss, but always asked according to the will of of God. So I want us to appreciate that is what I want us to appreciate is that God ever hears our prayers. Our loving Father ever hears our prayers. But a lot of times he tells us no, 
that is not according to my will. It is not for your good. Now, I want you to think about Jesus praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. While he's in the garden, there's a question about whether or not um, he should be taken. And he says to his disciples, Know ye not that I can pray to my Father, and he shall immediately give me twelve legions of angels. Well, Christ didn't pray for that. He could have, he says here, but he didn't pray for it because it was not for his good, and it's not for our good, that twelve legions of angels be dispatched and rescue him from those that had come to take him. When he was in the garden praying um, about whether or not he would drink the cup of God's wrath, he said, but not my will, thy will be done. Clearly Christ knew that it was the will of the Father and his will that he go to the cross. It was not for his good or our good that he not go to the cross. It was for his good and for our good that he go to the cross. Romans 8, 28 applies to him too. All things work together for good to them that love God. Christ, by going to the cross, secured a bride for himself, uh, which is the church. Eternal glory and eternal life for all of those whom he died for. It was good for him to do that because the fellowship of the saints, the fellowship of the church, the fellowship within the Godhead went from the three to include all of the saints. So it, it just increased exponentially. So it was very good that that happened to Christ. So we, we don't know what is good for us, but God knows what's good for us. We have lots of wants, a lot of wants, a lot of desires, but not that many needs. God knows what we need, and those are the prayers that he fills, uh, fulfills on our behalf as it is according to his will. So... Lots of times we hear no, it's not according to his will, and lots of times the Lord says, well, not yet, be patient, and I hope we can appreciate that when we look at the lives of the saints here, how long things have taken to fulfill that God had said will take place in their life. Jacob now has been absent for 20 years from his brother, um, and absent 20 years from his father's house, so things take a long time. When God promised Abraham a child, that was a long time before he fulfilled that promise and that prayer. So a lot of our prayers are just be patient and wait until God ordains it for our good. So we see this reality that we face every day. We see it play itself out in the lives of the saints that are set before us um, in God's holy word. We have seen a great deal of trouble in Scripture. It begins in Genesis chapter 4 with fratricide where Cain murders his brother Abel. Interesting, it's fratricide that put Christ on the cross, meaning he was our brother and all of us are guilty of sin and we were guilty of placing him on the cross. So it begins with fratricide and it's consummated in fratricide. When I say begin, I'm just talking about the, the misery that begins in, in the family of, of Adam. Sin took place in chapter 3, but the fratricide took place in chapter 4. Um, the saints we've seen have had a lot of heartache in their life. We see it in Jacob's life. But what's interesting is here is where in Genesis 32 and 33 is a conversion of his life where God has revealed himself to him. He says, I have seen the face of God. But the heartache for Jacob is just starting to really ramp up which is not what you think it would be. You would think, well, he's a saint now. He's a Christian. God has revealed him. He's been regenerated. You think life would go easy for him, but the opposite happens. It, his life gets much more difficult. Um, I remember 
when we're sitting watching people be baptized in a church, you know, when somebody gets baptized, we all kind of look at each other and go, okay, now life is going to start to get difficult for that individual. Satan's going to be all over him. All his family and friends are going to start to um, try to turn him out of the way. And so life is going to become a challenge for that individual. Up to this point in Jacob's life, his troubles have really been his own doing. Um, I mean, we know that he took advantage of his brother to um, get a hold of his birthright, and then he, through deception, he stole his father's blessing, and so he's had to flee, and now he's been, he's been dealing recently with Jacob, who has uh, impressed upon him uh, the things that he had done to his brother, and now Laban has done to him. But Jacob's worked all through it, all, and he's walked out, and he's done pretty well in a financial sense, meaning that he's got a huge flock. Things have been going okay. I mean, he's, he's had his troubles, but they've just been going okay. But things are going to ramp up in a major way, and the troubles aren't going to come because he has done something wrong, but because he's got ratty kids, and the people around him are ratty, they're idolatrous, and they are engaged in uh, evil activities, and his children, um, his daughter's going to go out catting around, and his, his boys are going to murder a bunch of people, and then they're going to you know, take his brother, and it just gets really ugly. I mean, if you look at the life of David, you'll see a very similar thing about how there's murder within the house. Um, um, Saints are not immune from the world's trouble. There's a lot of trouble on the outside that really um, um, goes after the Christians. And so we're going to see that trouble is going to ramp up for him very soon. Now, the scripture does not specifically say so, but I would think God's elect would pray more frequently than is revealed to us in scripture. We just see a couple places where Jacob has called upon the Lord. But I, I have no doubt that just like you and me, he's not any different than the rest of us, that he prays uh, more frequently than is revealed in Scripture. Um, but I don't know how often he prayed, but I do know that he suffers great heartache, distress, and loss, for which the only remedy is Christ, upon which God has forced him to lean. So hedged all about him is an evil and adulterous world, and um, he is forced to look up to Christ. He's forced to look up to God. He's forced to look up to Mount Zion, which is that city that is built with foundations whose builder and maker is God, which is Christ himself. All that language comes out of Hebrew chapter 11. Now, as I said, 32 and 33 is a real turning point in Jacob's life. Um, God has turned both Jacob's heart and Esau's heart. Jacob's heart has been turned to God. And that's what the word penuel means, turn ye to God. That's where he crosses um, at the end there. Esau's heart has been turned from a murderous um, vexation to one of forgiveness and grace. Not a salvific, but he's been turned uh, away from murder. In verse 4 of Genesis 33, we read that upon receiving Jacob's offerings... And seeing Jacob's humility, that Esau runs to meet Jacob and embraces him and kisses him upon his neck. That is very different than putting his foot on his neck, which would be a sign of conquer. Um, both men we see here weep. Both men we see here weep. And in verse 8, Esau asks what Jacob means by all the droves that he met as he came to him. And Jacob replies, these are to find grace in thy sight. Now, I'm going to drill down now, and look. we're going to look at the word enough here, because it's so very interesting what God has put forth us before us in Scripture. 
And this, again, is indicative that Jacob knows where he stands before God and appreciates the blessings that he has received. Um, In verse 9, we read of chapter 33, And Esau said, I have enough, my brother. Keep that thou hast unto thyself. Well, the word enough there is a Hebrew word that means much. I have much, um, which is consistent with how his father Isaac blessed him. In chapter 40, I'm I'm sorry, Genesis 27, verse 40, um, we know that he has lived with his sword and he has much. That was what his blessing was. It was a prophetic statement. As Father Jacob said that you're going to live by your sword and we know that he has much by virtue of that. Now Jacob, into whose heart God has shined the day star, says something just a little bit different, glorifying God. And that's consistent with the blessing of the firstborn. Back in Genesis 27, 28, we read that God has given him the dew of heaven and the fatness of the earth and plenty of corn and wine. So when we look at verses 10 and 11 here in Genesis 33, it says something just a little bit different in the Hebrew. It says in verse 10, And Jacob said, Nay, I pray thee, if now I have found grace in thy sight, then receive my present at my hand, for therefore... I have seen thy face as though it had been the face of God, and thou was pleased with me. Verse 11. Take, I pray thee, my blessing that is brought unto thee, because God hath dealt graciously with me. He attributes what he has to God's grace in his life. And because I have enough, and he urged him, and he took it. That word, enough, comes from a different word. And so what we can appreciate is he's saying here, hey, I have all. That word means all. It means the whole of. It means everything. It means all things. Different Hebrew word. Esau um, has a lot. He's got much. But Jacob has everything. He has all. And so do you if you are in Christ. You have everything. You have all things. Jacob knew that he had, quote, the blessing of Abraham. You'll see that in Genesis 28, verses 3 and 4, that he knew he had the blessing of Abraham and that he had all things. He had eternal life and was blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. That's Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. To have Christ is to have the blessing of Abraham. That applies to Christians today. That applies to the Gentiles. That's Galatians 3.14 uses that language, that we have the blessing of Abraham. And that like as Abraham, he, Jacob, just like the rest of us, is an heir of the world. Recall in Romans 4.13 that it says that Abraham, by faith, was an heir of the world. And so is his seed. Everything Abraham was promised and given, so are we, because Christians are said to be the seed of Abraham. Whatever promises apply to Abraham, they apply to Isaac, they apply to Jacob, and they apply to you and me, because they apply to Christ, who is the seed singular of Abraham. And Hebrews 1, 2 tells us that he is appointed heir of all things. If Christ is appointed heir of all things, and you are in Christ, You are heir of all things. You have received everything. So, as difficult as life is, we must ever keep an eternal perspective. 
sufferings of which we see much of in Scripture and indeed experience in our own lives are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. Nothing we could suffer in this world could even compare with the eternal glory that God has set forth for us, that he has purchased on our behalf. Christ went to the cross to prepare a place for us in glory. And he says he will come again to receive us unto himself. Uh, Where we shall ever be is with Christ. Scripture then says, In the former things, all the trials and tribulations and all our sufferings and heartaches shall not be remembered nor come upon the heart. That's Isaiah 65, 17. So as we go through um, life and we face difficulties, uh, we look in the scriptures and see that the saints suffered these things as well. We're not unique from them, nor are they unique from, from us. This is the walk of the Christian life. And every one of them had to turn to and lean upon Christ to get through life just as we do. The Lord says, my grace is sufficient for thee. God's grace was sufficient for Jacob. And as I said, the trials and troubles in his life are just about to ramp up. Um, And so Jacob leans on Christ just as we should. So this morning, let's celebrate the Lord's table with an appreciation and understanding what God has secured for us on his behalf. Amen.